There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, and it is the 12th of January, 2010. For the newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, bookmark the other sites I have up there and listed, because you'll need them in the future when the big sites go down occasionally, and that way you can get the latest shows. And it's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com. These are the official sites. Anything else isn't mine. Cuttingthroughthematrix.net, .us.ca, Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, Alan Watt sent in sentinel.eu that's a European site the last one, has all the same audios for downloads but it has the addition of transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given for download and prints up and you can choose from the various languages of Europe and this is tin can time I always put tin can out here at the beginning of the show rather than bother you throughout the show and lose your train of thought so it's up to you to keep me going and toss a few coins in that tin can once in a while and you can do so by buying the things I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or you can donate or you can use the donate button, PayPal, to also purchase. Remember that it's in a separate email if you want to purchase something. Personal checks are good from the U.S. to Canada and international postal money orders from the U.S. Post Office to Canada is good also. Stress international well, at the post office, not the green one, the pink communist international one. And for those who get the disc burned and passed to me, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estair, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P as in Peter, 3, E as in Elizabeth, 4, N as in Nora, 1, P3E, 4, N, 1. It's a, a rush job for the tin can, and it's still rattling. If you want to throw something in there, it's up to you. As I say, this is not a, a job. Uh, it's more than a vocation. It's a must-be something to share. It's the only way you can do it today. If you have knowledge, you've got to share it. You've got to get it out there and try and at least um, get through to the people who are looking for answers. You might not bring them all the way up to scratch, but you can start the process for them, hopefully, because we're going through the greatest changes in history, really in history, into a scientific type of world dictatorship where everything, everything, we've all been studied, all communities, all groups, all ethnic groups, all peoples across the planet have been studied so meticulously well for an awful long time. And so many experiments have been done upon the same peoples 
and data collected to see how they can be managed to the ultimate extreme with the ultimate authority. And we're going through that phase right now. Most folk haven't got a clue. They think that wars just pop out of nowhere. They think that everything they see on TV is real. They have no idea how how special security, secret uh, intelligence services work. No idea at all that they're all working together. That they do set off terrorist attacks here, there, and everywhere as preludes for war and invasion because it's geopolitics. You've got to get a, a purpose, a pretense for invading countries, and you use geopolitics. Very old technique. Every country's done it, especially the big empire countries. Britain was, was very good at it for an awful long time, and the U.S. has taken over from Britain. And everyone's involved at the top. Because a long time ago, they decided which countries would lead the New World Order into the amalgamation. And to the public, to us at the bottom, we must think it's all happening quite naturally. And we always say, well, what else can they do? They have to go the next step. They have to bring in a, cor- a common currency because the banks are failing. And um, uh, there's always an excuse that's, that's palatable, at least palatable, to most of the general public who don't notice much as long as they can go out and buy and buy and buy and play and play and play. We'll be back with more after this break. and this is cutting through the matrix just mentioning how we're so well understood really, we're looked upon as a collective and we down below we see ourselves as individuals at least we think we're individuals although most folk really are doing what everyone else is doing they dress like everyone else too according to their age group and uh, to the current fashions and their income brackets and all that kind of stuff and even the topics of conversation are given to them for every group uh, you'll find that the cocktail party types, the bureaucrats, where they go and chat, they always stand and chat, you know, and mingle. They want to mingle and sip their their their, their wine. Um, you'll find they always simply talk about the, the latest books and paperbacks that are out there uh, by different philosophers or, or or people who are into techniques of governing, and they love to brandish the names about between each other to show they're up in their class with what's going on. And if you don't know the name of a particular guy or a quote, you're just kind of, kind of out there, you're kind of strange. And, and everyone, every class every, is governed in the same way. And at the bottom, you'll see the youngsters with their baggy pants, uh, of course, made and made popular by Madison Avenue and the fashion designers and much music, thinking that they, somehow it's their generation and what they sing and what they, they copy and repeat is is really from themselves. They really believe that. And every generation before them thought the same thing too. We're so well understood because it's all to do with obedience. Obedience. Obedience to a group. Even your own peer group at school, that's obedience to the group. And it's a form of of natural uh, systems of getting along with each other. And governments count on that. That's why we take and bear so much from governments. And um, it's to do with authority as well, obeying authority. 
In the old days, in ancient times, you'd obey the tribal chief, uh, and he would be the guy who would dish out punishments and fines or whatever else there was to dish out in those days, uh, and keep everyone in line, uh, but with the consent of the governed. And he was so easy to overthrow if he overstepped uh, his mark or got big boots and uh, and wanted to get his family to take over and have you worship him. Uh, it was much easier to get rid of one guy and a couple of his men around him than it is to today. That's why governments today have massive armies behind them. It's not really to protect the country, it's to protect the system that they rule over for themselves. That's the reality of governments. And this is discussed in very, very high quarters, the big ivory towers where the think tanks sit and look down upon us all. It's all to do with perception management. It's a word that's now used in place of propaganda. And um, Bernays went into the art of propaganda. He liked the word propaganda. He thought it was a nice clean word. But of course, because it was used so much to, to, to alter perceptions, especially during times of war, to get people into the military and to go off and get killed off in droves, then it got a bad name, a bad rap, especially after World War I, uh, when they found that the guys like Bernays had dreamed up the systems to, to motivate young men into the military, and also uh, that all the, the reasons for going in, especially for America, were all lies in the first place. That's how it's done. It's always lies, you see. It doesn't matter after the event, they can come out and admit the lies. They don't really care. And generally by that time, another generation is growing up, and they're so involved in what's happening in their lifetimes. They, it's like ancient history. Who cares? That's how we've always been ruled. But perception is so, so important. As I say, now they call them the management perception. And that's the guys you call in when you want to sell a product. They're not selling the product, they're, they're giving the customers a perception of something that's unreal, not the product itself. I mean, when you think of sp spending millions of dollars for, say, a particular toothpaste, uh, it's just a toothpaste. It's, that's all it is. All toothpaste are much the same. They've got sodium bicarbonate in them, some kind of cream or other, and, um, and then they add all that fluoride stuff to make you dumb and stupid. And it works. The advertising works on the public because everyone who brushes their teeth with this stuff is so happy on television, so happy that they're overjoyed because they've got this toothpaste, you see. It works so well. And it works with everything else, too. If you notice with the car ads that they're flooding the market with right, right now, in fact, there's not one ad will tell you what, what its fuel consumption actually is or how long the transmission guarantee is, is for or anything that counts. What they give you is a, a computer-generated road with no traffic on it, long and winding, and big hills on the other side, and the only car on the road is the one that you're going to buy, that one there. They sell you a fantasy, a happy fantasy of escapism. You see? So it's perception management, and all governments have been using the art of perception management for an awful, awful, awful long time. When governments want to do something, like invade a country, they take out maybe a year, two years sometimes to plan it all. There's nothing happens ever, ever spontaneously. Now, often they're planned years ahead to do with geopolitical strategy. 
and they'll do maybe oh, 20 years' time want to take this country out. Winston Churchill, after they divided up the, the, the Middle East uh, an awful long time ago with Britain in its war capacity, after World War One, and there's blue lines on the maps and says, you're now this country, you're now that country. And um, he said at the time, he says, eventually the oil to the north of Iraq will be so important, we will have to go to war over it. That was before World War Two. And folk don't know, so they, they go along with the, the current uh, 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 reasons are given, although all the botched jobs, they're kind of botched, they kind of work in a sense, the tax on the tower, all the ridiculous excuses we got, the floating down passport that eventually denied ever existed, but it was a big propaganda piece at the time. All this stuff is, is, is just like a Hollywood movie, just like Wag the Dog, fantastic movie to see, fantastic movie. When they went into Bosnia, they actually followed the script of Wag the Dog right down, right down to the little girl running through the village that was all afire with her headscarf on, with a little dog in her arm. That was in Wag the Dog, which was, which was released a year before they went into Bosnia. Incredible stuff. And they get away with it, and they laugh up their sleeves. They really do. Now, remember what I've mentioned before, that some of the top players like Bernard Baruch and others have said that whatever happens in government and in politics, whatever they tell the public, there's always a good reason for how they present it to the public, a good reason. And whether it's a tax increase or a war or anything else, they always give you what seems to be a good reason. And he said, then there's the real reason. The public are never allowed in to the real reason. Jumping from there, let's go back to Karl Marx and Abraham Lincoln. What did they have in common? They actually wrote to each other. That's what they had in common. And there's Pentagon Papers. And the record's there where Marx actually telegraphed Lincoln, congratulating him on keeping... Uh, um, the, actually creating a centralized government, which was a prime plank of the Communist Manifesto, centralization of government. And as we drift along playing, because I say we've never had so much entertainment and data thrown at us so cheaply as t today, even though everyone's losing their homes, they can always still watch all the cheap stuff on television or the computer. Um, we find that there's executive orders just flowing out of the White House and no one cares about it. Centralization of government, remember. And Obama, just uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, out of the White House came a press release, uh, whitehouse.gov. It uh, says here, January 11th, it says, President Obama signs executive order establishing a council of governors. A council of governors. C-O-G, COG. <laughs> But it says executive order will strengthen further partnerships. See, it's not a takeover or a merger of Big Brother. It's, it's a, a partnership. It's like that word harmonization when they bring things. We're harmonizing your taxes with other taxes. It's harmony. That sounds good. We're all sing in unison, doesn't it? Harmony is a good word. But this is a partnership. Partnerships are good, right? Again, psycholinguistics, you see. So strengthen uh, and further partnership between the federal, state, and local governments to better protect. They always use that one, our nation. Protect. Protect is a good word, isn't it? 
the president today signed the executive order, order attached, and I'll put these links up on my site at the end of the show, establishing a, governor, a council of governors to strengthen further the partnership between the federal government and state governments to protect our nation against all types of hazards. When appointed, the council will be reviewing such matters involving the National Guard of the various states rather centralizing all the military at home because trouble is coming along, if you can't quite get the message and reason for it. Homeland defense, civil support, synchronization and integration, integration of state and federal military activities in the United States. Let's put that again, me. Eh? Uh, synchronization and integration of state and federal military activities in the United States. And we'll be back with more on this order after this break. reading an executive order uh, that Obama has just put through and it's to do with basically a council of governors being uh, uh, erected to basically take care of all problems at home. Obviously they don't see problems at home but since it's all to do with home and military activities in the United States that they're expecting something big and that's what it really is. That's what it is. Something big is going to happen. Says federal members of the council include the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Assistant to the President for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism, the Assistant to the President for Intergovernmental Affairs and Public Engagement, the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Defense and America's Security Affairs, the U.S. Northern Command Commander, the Commandant of the Coast Guard and the Chief of the National Guard Bureau. The Secretary of Defense will designate an executive director for the council. It's like the whole kit and caboodle is in there. And something big will come up. We've watched all this crisis creation. We've watched all this con games with the sinking of the banks who then got paid for doing it. And the taxation of the public is still to follow. It hasn't hit uh, the prices just yet. Not, not completely. It's just starting to, you're starting to see the inflation. But uh, big trouble is coming. Big, big, big trouble is coming. And it was planned that way a long time ago. Every scenario that could happen, even by accident, is practiced over and over in simulations years ago, over and over again. But nothing is happening by accident at all. Nothing. And when they went into Iraq, remember, I said at the time, I, I, apart from the farce of it all, they wanted an excuse to go in. They already had the military mask ready to go in before the 9-11 attack came on. Long before it, before the, the Twin Towers even went down, they had, they had planned to go into Iraq. And uh, they were still really uh, putting it under sanction at that time with flyovers and no flyovers and all that kind of stuff with the, through the so-called UN and NATO forces. But um, then we had the big push to go in, uh, and, uh, and Bush said at the time openly that he believed that Saddam was uh, supporting the guys, the terrorists, who took down the towers. Afterwards, he denied that when he was doing the inquiry. Remember, he said, I never did say that at all. He said, I never ever said Saddam had anything to do with taking down the towers. But that's what politicians are paid for, you know. 
uh, this article here is from the Mail Online, and it says, 12th of January 2010, invasion of Iraq had no legal basis, finds damning Dutch report into war. The Dutch government supported an invasion of Iraq that had no legal mandate. The country's inquiry into the war announced today. The scathing 551-page report said United Nations resolutions in the 1990s prior to the outbreak of war gave no authority to the United States and Britain to invade Iraq. And it said that the Netherlands gave political support to the war just so it could support its NATO allies and the US and Britain who led the invasion. Dutch ministers as politicians were further criticised in reports of the Davids Commission, which sat for 10 months for using intelligence from Britain and the US that showed Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, rather than the more nuanced assessment of its own secret services, which knew, of course they knew they had no weapons of mass destruction. And it heavily criticised the Dutch government for letting politics override law when it supported the 2003 US invasion of Iraq and ignoring intelligence that downplayed the threat of Saddam Hussein's weapons program. And when we jump from there to the next article, and it's from, it's from the Mail Online, uh, it's about the same thing only from Britain, right? Because the little inquiry is going on there too. And it says here, shameless, unrepentant, and still lying, Alistair Campbell stands by every word of 45-minute dodgy dossier that took us to war with Iraq, 12th of January 2010. Alistair Campbell, he was in charge of it all at the time, was accused last night of peddling a shameless litany of lies at the Iraq inquiry. In a provocative six-hour display, the spin doctor denied doing anything to beef up the case for going to war. Actually, he told everybody beneath him to sex up the dossier. Sex it up, that was the words he used. And he dismissed the overwhelming evidence of government papers and his own diaries that he pressured spy chiefs to harden Tony Blair's dodgy dossier on Iraqi weapons. He put, he put Sir John Scarlett, the former chairman of the Joint Intelligence Committee, in the dock over the dossier, saying he held the pen. Yet Mr. Campbell's own diary showed that he bombarded Sir John with at least 15 suggestions on how to improve the dossier, which led to assessments of Saddam's nuclear weapons program becoming more alarmist. In other words, it was outright lies they knew. Yet he insisted yesterday not a single one of his team sought to question, override, rewrite, let alone the ghastly sex up phrase, intelligence assessments in any way, at any time on any level. The former number 10 communications chief then defied critics of the war by insisting he was very, very proud of his role as a good psychopath, you see. I make clear that Tony Blair will do the same, because he's a good psychopath too, when he testifies later this month. He added, I defend every single word of the dossier, I defend every single part of the process. That sounds like Nuremberg trial, that's what they all said there too, you know, some sort of stuff. That's what psychopaths do. You know, they'll lie to the bitter end, to save their own ego. No matter what they've done or who's been slaughtered, it doesn't matter. It's all irrelevant to them. It really is. And remember, that means we are also completely irrelevant as well. We better get that through our thick skulls very quickly. Big things are planned, you know. Big, big things are planned for the world. We're just going through some of them right now. Bigger ones are to come. Back with more after this break.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Uh, jumping back to Karl Marx and Lincoln, uh, uh, just put that in context with Obama's executive order and his further centralization of power. That's the whole point I'm trying to make you think about. Very, very important points. And not only that, you see these treaties they have through the UN and NATO and all the rest of it, that's further centralization of power over the planet. They don't say, what will we do next once we centralize? No, they already know where they're going next and next and next for the next 50 to 100 years. They really do. But when you have uh, unlimited budgets and countless think tanks paid full time, generation after generation, on particular areas of, of humanity and society, how can they go wrong? Eh? How can they go wrong? Especially when they've, they've trained an obedient, docile public to just obey, obey, and believe. And play, and keep playing, play, 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 be entertained and play. Uh, they got it made. They got it made. As the cage is being put around everyone, they got it made. AP Impact, this article here is from, and it says United Nations cuts back on investigating fraud. That's odd because just yesterday I mentioned that the, that the UN was rotten with fraud, always has been. You'll never find where all this cash goes. Never find it at all. And, and they keep funding again from the same big lobbyists across the planet. And different national countries give them lobbying money as well. So they'll go easy on them. But it says they cut back on investigating fraud. Yeah, United Nations. The United Nations has cut back sharply on investigations into corruption and fraud within its ranks shelving cases involving the possible theft or misuse of millions of dollars. This is the guys that want us all dough from us to help save the environment. An Associated Press review has found. Now remember, after the big scandal with the oil for food, when they were starving the Iraqis to death under Madeleine Albright, that wonderful woman, who said it was a good technique, and, and, uh, and at that time, it was only halfway through it, I think 500,000 were officially dead, men, women, and children lack of food and medications. All their plants for, for, for medications and pharmacies have been destroyed by the bombers. That was part of the strategy, by the way, of total war. That's what they do when they go after you. Food, water, uh, medications, all that stuff is destroyed. And they had an investigation into it because they found that, that it was the, the UN Secretary General's son, apparently, this, this is who they put blame on, who also worked at the United Nations, for doing this, this uh, okay, we'll, we'll sneak some stuff through to you, but at an awful price, an awful price, and they were lining their pockets with it. So they set up this board of inquiry to, to look into their own corruption. That's kind of like the fox guarding the hen house, isn't it? It was show, in other words, show. It says at least five major cases in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Africa are among the inquiries halted as the UN scaled back on self-policing over the past year. The world body was rocked in the past decade when more than 2,200 companies from some 40 countries colluded with Saddam Hussein's regime to build 1.8 billion 
from a UN-administered oil welfare food program for Iraqi humanitarian relief. It's amazing how they missed the fact that, that the Secretary General's son and him himself, he said he had no idea what was happening, were, were actually the guys who ran it and, and pocketed the money. You've got to have a memory to put things together because these lying sods won't tell you the truth. <laughs> it says here, in response, it established a special anti-corruption unit, the Procurement Task Force. I knew they were procuring prostitutes too and children for sex through the UN. That's been all over the world. Everywhere they go, that happens. Anyway, back to their article. In 2006, that over the next three years, uncovered at least 20 other major schemes affecting more than $1 billion in UN contracts and international aid. Isn't the charity business wonderful, eh? <laughs> But at the beginning of 2009, the United Nations shuttered the agency and diverted its work to the Office of Internal Oversight Services, Permanent Investigation Division. Since then, the number of cases opened, pursued or completed has dropped dramatically and the division has let go most former task force investigators the AP found in an examination of UN documents, audits and emails, along with dozens of interviews with current and former UN officials and diplomats. Over the past year, not a single significant fraud or corruption case has been completed. They'll start them, then say, oh, we can't go there, the public will go wild, so they don't complete them. Compared with an average of 150 cases a year investigated by the task force previously, the Permanent Investigation Division decided not to even pursue about 95 cases left over when the task force ceased operation, while another 80 unfinished cases have languished. Well, are you surprised? I'm not surprised. Study the UN. Study the creeps that go into it. Study what they're all about. Study who owns them, because they're all owned, you know. <laughs> Study who set them up. Who created the United Nations? If you want to, if you can break away from playing and being entertained, you might learn something. It doesn't matter how often, how many years you spend telling the public about things and using documentation, which they know at the top again, obedience to authority. Most folk will simply go along with the authorities and they take the shots that they get and they get autism and they're all amazed that it's skyrocketed since about 1960, especially onwards, and especially in the last 15, 20 years, just gone through the roof. And that's a natural phenomenon. It's all quite natural now, you see. Like everything, cancer is natural now, too. 40 years ago, doctors were trained in completely different statistics, and many of the cancers that were common today were unknown then, pretty well unknown, incredibly rare. So was autism. But never mind the truth and facts, what does that matter with the current propaganda that we get from the medical associations? Back to the Furiate vaccine scandal, and this is from the Daily and Sunday Express UK. Now, the first ones who go uh, obediently and get their shots are the ones who are threatened to lose their jobs. And that's generally government employees or people who get paid by government at the bottom. And that's no pun, by the way. Sunday, January the 10th, 2010. Hundreds of public sector workers who claim their lives have been wrecked by vaccines say the government has abandoned them. Up to 200 doctors, nurses, firefighters, prison officers police officers, forensic scientists and bin men, that's the garbage guys say they have developed serious physical and mental health problems after injections essential for their work over the past 10 years all have given up their jobs and some are now 60% disabled 
Last night it emerged that they are to miss out on payments or payouts, prompting fewer amongst campaigners. More than 150 members of parliaments have lent their support to demand for a better deal for the victims. Well, they should also go give them the same shots or no shots at all like those MPs get. But that won't happen. Olivia Price of the Vaccine Victim Support Group said these people have given their lives in the service of looking after others and this is how they're repaid. Well, we're just cattle at the bottom, aren't we? They've lost their careers and are a burden to their families. That's very degrading. No kidding, getting crippled can be pretty degrading. Frontline health workers, social workers, prison officers and garbage men have to be vaccinated against hepatitis B as a condition of their employment. This is, oh, here's that word protect. It's like, it's like anti-terrorism, Bill. This is to protect. You just say protect and that's it. That's it. Psycholinguistics. Protect them from contracting potentially fatal conditions from infected blood to needle injuries or physical assaults. Although they are not legally forced to have the vaccinations, without them, they're not allowed to work. <laughs> they're not for, you'll, you'll just be unemployed and penniless on the street. They, they, you know, these are blackmail for you. Yeah. Oh, it's our policy. <laughs> it's not the law, it's our policy. But well, you can't work if you don't get these shots. And believe you me, too, all these authorities get kickbacks for Big Pharma. You'd understand that in the real world, kickbacks are normal. Big bucks pass hands. It says here, although they are not legally forced, they make, yeah, they're not allowed to work. Experts believe the injections cause the health problems, which include chronic fatigue, very common, wipes them out, muscle pain, weakness, and cognitive problems. It's mental problems. They actually start to lose, lose memory and have, have lose short, long-term memory and short-term memory because illnesses develop soon after the vaccination. In one case, Steve Robinson, a previously fit 43-year-old father of three, was vaccinated six years ago against hepatitis A, B, and polio, tetanus, and diphtheria as part of his work as a forensic specialist. Two days later, he became ill and developed muscle weakness and chronic fatigue, very common. Mr. Robinson from Morpeth, Northumberland, is now 60% disabled with an industrial injuries tribunal put down to... The, the actual tribunal put it down to the vaccinations. Well, at least someone's getting the message. But you know something... All they have to say is, oh, plague, plague, and the people who hear this show will be running off to get the little children stuck with their poisons again. Sad that, isn't it? But they know us at the top, don't they? They really understand us very well. Moo. He has also been diagnosed with microphagic uh, myofasitis, a disabling condition which may be caused by the aluminum in the vaccines. Now, they call it aluminum over there. It's aluminum over here. Uh, he also suffers from problems that cause him to fall with no warning. It's true loss of balance and they just collapse. He said, before I had the vaccinations, I was very healthy, a keen mountain biker, and enjoyed walking and keeping fit. Now I have very poor mobility and walk with, with the aid of sticks. I'm constantly tired. That's very common. Mind you, most doctors will, oh, it's in your head, it's in your head. You take these amphetamines, I'll speed you up. In up to 10 of the 200 cases, government officials have already ruled on the balance of probabilities that the vaccines caused the damage. Well, that's generally how you do a court case. It's the, it's the preponderance of evidence. How are you before the shots? Fits a fiddle. How are you after them? I'm dead. I'm crawling. You see? Case closed. Campaigners say these victims should be entitled to payouts of up to £120,000 
through the government's vaccine damage payment scheme, like other people who have suffered side effects, but the hepatitis, hepatitis B vaccine is excluded, so they get nothing. I wonder how they managed to exclude that one. Payouts, payouts are restricted to the industrial injury scheme, but this is a long and difficult process, and according to campaigners, results in paltry sums. Generally, what governments do is wait till you die off. They've inquiries that last 20 years in the British Commonwealth countries. Famous for them. That's what they did with the tainted blood scandal when Clinton signed the deal with Connaught Laboratories in Canada to import all the blood products uh, from the prisons. And they knew they were infected. And, and you know, they even had the documentaries in Canada where they talked to some of the ex-prisoners who said that they actually would hook themselves up to the blood machines. They didn't even have staff to do it. <laughs> Do you have HIV? No, no, I'm fine. And, and they killed off pretty well the whole population of haemophiliacs in Canada. So the government then went into about a 15 years inquiry until I think about three of them were left, and I think maybe one of them got the payoff. That's what they do. Because why? It's simple economics, folks. That's how it's treated, simple economics. Now, Here's an article here from CNN.com. It says, the future of brain-controlled devices. They're talking about chips, starting with headsets and going to chips, of course. In the shimmering fantasy realm of the hit movie Avatar, apparently that's what they're all into today. This is a paraplegic marine, leaves his wheelchair behind and finds his feet in a new virtual world thanks to the link, a sophisticated chamber that connects his brain to a surrogate alien via computer. This type of interface is a classic tool in Jihua's science fiction, but the hired science behind it is even more wow-inducing. Researchers are already using brain-computer interfaces to aid the disabled. Oh, oh, I love that DARPA was the one who's... We can get a guy who sends emails to his friends by thinking about it. He's a, he's a quadriplegic. DARPA, the big military-industrial complex boys, are really out there to help the people, the poor, sick people. That's why they do all this stuff. That's why they bought all the babies for their cells and stuff, their, 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 their little cells they can, to help other sick people. This is the BS we get all the time. Isn't it? Always works. And it says, and to provide therapy for depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, what's really behind it? Let's jump to the next link. And it's the Pentagon. Well, no kidding. No kidding. And this is going back to May 14th, 2008. Pentagon preps soldier telepathy push. Forget the battlefield radios, the combat PDAs, or even infantry hand signals. When the soldiers of the future want to communicate, they'll read each other's minds. At least that's the hope of researchers at the Pentagon's Mad Science Division, DARPA. No, the ones that helped the poor paraplegic, the big PR campaign, we helped this guy. This is where all the billions are going, is to help this guy here. See, we care. <laughs> The agency's budget for the next fiscal year includes $4 million to start up a pro program called Silent Talk. The goal is to allow user-to-user -user communications on the battlefield without the use of vocalized speech to analysis of neural signals. That's just signals from your neurons in your brain. That's on top of the $4 million the Army handed out last year to the University of California to investigate the potential for computer-mediated telepathy. Before, before being vocalized, speech exists as word-specific neural signals in the mind. DARPA wants to develop technology that would detect these signals of pre-speech, analyze them, and then transmit the statement into an intended interlocutor. 
lecture. It says, DARPA plans to use EEG, electroencephalograph machine, to read the brain waves. It's a technique they're also testing in a project to devise mind-reading binoculars that alert soldiers to threats faster than the conscious mind can process them. So the three main goals, according to DARPA, to try to map a person's EEG pattern, your brain pattern, to his, to his or her individual's words. That's been done. We've seen the, the articles from Japan on that recently, where they can actually show you on a computer the certain words that someone's thinking of. It all ties together. It all ties together. And what's the first reason for military purposes? Always military. Then see if those patterns are generalizable. If everyone has similar patterns, lastly conduct uh, fieldable pre-prototypes that would decode the signal and transmit over a limited range. The military has been funding a handful of mind-tapping technology recently and already have monkeys capable of telepathic limb control. Telepathy may also have advantages beyond covert battlefield chatter, Last year, the National Research Council on the Defense Intelligence Agency released a report suggesting that neuroscience, that's the big word they're using, the big key that all goes into is neuroscience, might also be useful to make the enemy obey our commands. Now, just think about it if you become the enemy, folks. Let's just jump from here to Zygmunt Brzezinski in Between Two Ages, his own book, the head of the NSA and all the rest of it who is still active yet in, in uh, destabilizing parts of the world. And he admits that myself, by the way. He's up on YouTube talking about it. He said that in the technotronic era, the chapter of the technotronic era, he said they were able to influence the behavior of millions of people with technotronic, that's top harp, EMP, all that kind of stuff. And they won't even know why they're making decisions or why they're doing things. Make the enemy obey our commands. Whole continents, he says, could be done this way back after this break. as I say, when you just tie these things together, that's why I picked these particular articles uh, tonight. And I, and I do is pick them up before the show, different ones to see what's relevant to anything and how they string together. You'll find there's always, I call them strings of articles published around the same time. They can, they can tie it together. There's always a reason for this, and it's not by chance. Uh, this article here is from CNN.com. Audiences experience avatar blues, you see. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, what a shame. Eh? It says, Avatar is on track to be the highest grossing film of all time, but some viewers say it leaves them depressed. Oh, oh dear. They've got drugs for that. Big Pharma will help you. Uh, James Cameron's completely immersive spectacular spectacle, Avatar, may have been a little too real for some fans who say they've experienced depression and suicidal thoughts after seeing the film because they long to enjoy the beauty of an alien world called Pandora. On the fan forum site Avatar Forums, a topic thread entitled Ways to Cope with the Depression of the Dream of Pandora Being Intangible has received more than 1,000 posts from people experiencing depression and fans trying to help them cope. Oh, oh, God. The topic became so popular last month that former administrator Philip Bagdasarian had to create a second thread to be, so people could continue to post their confused feelings about the movie. Oh, 
You see, it was so beautiful they want to be in the movie. See, they're ready for the brain chip. So DARPA won't have any problem with those guys. I can guarantee you that. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.